0: your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor podcast. I'm here with Dr. Royer. Yes, it is good to be here with you, Greg, today. Yeah. Doc, we've been talking a lot lately about human thriving and presence and the value or really even the necessity of sensory input. And today I want to talk about walls. So let's think about what a wall can do. On the one hand, walls can be positive. They keep things outside that you don't want to let in, right? Wild animals, Vikings, uh, cold winds, (laughs) right? Hail. It can protect something from external threats and it can shut out noise or distractions. If I hear the freeway or my neighbor's party next door, it's nice to go inside my walls and shut out that noise, right? They can preserve my privacy. I can go inside my walls and, you know, do my thing and not have anybody watching me. But also, walls also have another side, right? I mean, they can isolate us. They w- Walls, by nature, almost prevent connections, or they make connections much more difficult. Your wall can have doors in it, or gates in it, which means that your connections or communications with what's outside the walls is through a very narrow opening, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sort of narrow and defined portal that you can control or defend. And... While whatever's outside your walls can't see inside, the flip side of that is when you're inside your walls, you can't see what's going on around you. So walls can contain and they can control and they can limit and they can shrink space and options and experiences and relationships. And whatever is inside of walls becomes kind of self-referential. It only knows itself. So. On the positive side, castles have walls, but so do prisons.
1: Mm, Yes.
0: So why are we talking about walls today? Because we've been talking about thriving and we've been talking about presence and we've been talking about paying attention to our senses and the world around us and also what throttles those things, what cuts those off. And it seems to me that we've built or we build a lot of walls in our life that make it difficult to be present and engaged and pay attention to our senses and to really thrive. So I really want to mine your wisdom and experience here on the ways that we build walls or have built walls or walls have been built for us and around us that kind of rob us of thriving and presence and sensory engagement
1: with the world around us. Absolutely. Big topic. Uh, all kinds of layers to this. I want to first start talking about the positive of that. And uh, when you talk about walls, it reminds me of when back when I did a lot of pediatrics, um, working with parents and children and uh, early childhood development. Um, I actually would talk about walls in parenting and how important that is in forming an environment for a child that has consistency, that has predictability, right? But with everything, things can get out of balance. It becomes so predictable, so controllable that now the walls become a problem. But in parenting, what I would explain to parents a lot is when you're setting up family rules and roles with children, the reason why you want to be consistent is those walls around that child need to be fixed and not something that they can just move by throwing a tantrum or doing some negative behavior. If you push on the wall, so like many of us are probably in a room right now, okay? If you were to push on that wall and that wall moved, you would say, wow, I have a lot of power, right? And that child can feel that at that moment. Is that wall moved? I'm in control, I have power. But you know what that also produces is anxiety in children. And to be permissive all the time isn't healthy because while they get us, there's a sense of control. It's not healthy control because you don't want to push on the wall and move because now you wonder, is the ceiling going to cave in? Like my world becomes unpredictable. And so we do need boundaries in relationships. We need certain walls with what our expectations are with ourselves. We cannot do everything. You can't be the best dad best husband and the best businessman and the best athlete. I mean, there's certain pieces, you know, a golf game can only go so far and still maintain relationships unless that's what you're doing for a career. right? Right. You know, so we do need walls in respect to boundaries, but what happens is we start to create walls as a way to deal with our fears And the anxiety we have to the point that we start to push people away. And that would be kind of the negative thing that we're talking about, where this technology in our world becomes a way to distance people from us, even though we might not be initially intending to do that. But we're distancing the encompassing sensory experience that real relationships have and making it more of a digital experience that becomes more cognitive you know, texting with somebody is totally different than actually reaching out and touching them. You know, that's, a, that's something a computer will never, ever do. A computer will never be able to feel the touch of somebody that loves them. Or what a kiss feels like. Like, it won't do that. You can't make a, a computer, won't do it. it won't be able to hear the sounds that we hear at a beautiful symphony. It won't smell those flowers and the richness to them as you're on a walk and it just overtakes everything in you. Right. Or that food that hits your lips and you're like, Oh my goodness. That is the best barbecue I've ever had. Right. You know, or see the sunrise the way we see it. You know, all of these are way beyond any supercomputer that will ever exist our senses are absolutely incredible if you just took one just one of them much less five right and what these walls do many times that we create is it limits us from this all encompassing experience of true relationship my thumbs texting is not a relationship okay You know, it's interesting you say that.
0: I (laughs) So this is a number of years ago. I was at this industry conference and there was a panel discussion about how the media industry had changed. And there was a guy on the panel discussion who was like this grizzled old veteran of New York media. I think he'd been like an advertising exec, like back in the madman days, you know, like the Don Draper days and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, he's kind of retired, like owned an agency or something, partner. And so he's this grizzled old guy and he's on this panel and he's like, I walked through the agency today in Manhattan. And he goes, and I see all of these kids, you know, and they're sitting at their (laughs) desks or their cubicles. Right. And they're just, you know, tapping away, you know, on their keyboards. And he'd say, He goes, I'd stop and I go, what are you doing? And they go, "Um, I'm emailing or texting or messaging somebody. And who? Her. And he goes, she's six (laughs) feet away. Why don't you just go talk to her? (laughs) And they go, well, no, we're just messaging back and forth. He goes, why the heck are you going to talk to her? You know, he starts, and he goes, he goes, you know, what happens is back in my day, we'd have to go get in each other's faces and argue. And sometimes we go out. Yes. To, he goes. We go out to, for drinks after work and get big screaming arguments and bar fights. But he said we learned how to work stuff out um, in right. those screaming matches and those bar fights and those confrontations. We we sort of wrestled with real people and real ideas and solved problems. And I suppose probably developed some emotional intelligence and relational intelligence about a deal with people. And he said, "What I see is." is these young kids in my agency today uh, don't ever sort of develop those skills or those capacities with other people because it's all mediated by electronics.
1: Right. Yeah, and I, th- I think what happens is it's not that the technology isn't good, but it becomes kind of the solution. It's the hammer for every na- <laughs> everything that you see. And sometimes you need to use a different tool you know, and I see this, you know, with a lot of the, uh, you know, you'll see it in the customer service arenas now where, you know, it's always chat, 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 which, you know, I love that sometimes, but there's other times you cannot explain it in a chat. You can't get your refund <laughs> with the chat, but you can in the discussion. Or if you're looking for this particular thing, you need that interaction or to solve a problem i it's very interesting i have four kids and there's a particular time that i see as i look at how their ages that you know i don't know what kind of happened in the world as far as technology but the younger ones have a younger one has a harder time she's very good at the technology better than everyone but sometimes i'll say to her hey just call the person like Talk to them, right? And we laugh about that. Oh no, 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 no! I'm going to text it. You I'm like, I just have a conversation. You'll probably solve this problem. Now, the the flip side of that is sometimes it is it can be very quick and efficient, but sometimes it can also become very clumsy, and you need the personal touch, right? And so it is. It is finding that balance. It's not that we want to you know live under a rock, but being open to. Maybe I need to drive to the, to the restaurant and actually interact with a waitress and have a meal you know, with other people around versus just digitally doing it on my phone or getting my groceries that way every single time.
0: Well, yeah, but Doc, just wait about six or eight more months until GPT-5 is released and yeah. artificial intelligence now is better at customer service or better at most jobs medical diagnostics and a whole lot of other things. They're even talking, I mean, they're coming for you, Doc, because they're talking about now (laughs) that you can have artificial intelligence that does diagnosis and counseling with people, right? Ask Mm -hmm. some questions, interacts. And the point I want to make is that technology has exploded in an exponential way in the last 30 or 40 years that really is unlike other parts of human history. So we can go back and say, well, at some point somebody invented fire and the wheel and the steam engine and uh, airplanes and all that. But in some ways, none of that really robbed human beings of their interactions with each other, right? right. I mean, you may have said, well, now we can ride on a train instead of riding on a wagon train, right? Or now we can ride in a car instead of on a horse, but you're still with people. But what technology has done and is accelerating at an even faster exponential rate with artificial intelligence and virtual reality and a whole lot of other things is that it it basically becomes completely immersive. So think about the people who wake up in the morning, some of us, and the first thing you do in the morning is to go out to walk your dog or whatever, and you put on AirPods. So now you can listen to your music or you can listen to the Inner Armor podcast or whatever it is. Yes, that's what we want listening to But the problem is, is that now you're not hearing the birds chirp and you're not paying attention because you're constantly, your brain is constantly being fed a stream of digital content and you're scrolling through your phone and you're surrounded by screens, LCD screens, almost 24 seven. The last thing you see before you go to sleep is your phone screen. The first thing you see when you wake up is your phone screen. And that content is self-selective. So I choose the news channel I want, the music station I want, the content that appeals to me. And I'm essentially building this, this very small immersive bubble that I live in that fills my senses and my brain nearly every waking moment. And so the question becomes, as we look into the future, how do we as human beings thrive in that kind of a world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it first starts with our understanding of, of the reality of, you know, we can get so impressed with the technology that we don't realize how technologically advanced we are as a human with our brain and what we can create. All of these things have been created by the brain. (laughs) The brain has made that. And if I kind of lean into those creations of the brain, but I don't rest in what is the brain doing and how do I enhance that, then I lose the ability for that to become any more innovative and creative. And, and the, the idea that You know, what I'm listening to on the podcast, even the Inner Armor podcast, is more educational or more uh, impressive than just listening to the world around me. And the the noises of nature on a walk and people's voices in person, when you see the expressions on their face, like when you're talking about the GPT, you know, it might be able to do therapy, but can it cry with somebody? You, You know, I mean, I don't have to say anything. When I'm sad with someone, when I'm sitting next to somebody and, you know, I put my hand, you know, on their shoulder, I don't, I don't need to come up. People, a lot of times we need to realize it's more than just words. Our communication, words are only really when you look at how things are communicated. Words are only about 20% of the message that's sent. It's emotion, it's connectivity. That's why texting will only go so far. Emails will only go so far. There's so much more to communication than words. And we're lost in that. We, we've lost the beauty or the art of how amazing I am. And so I fill it with all this other stuff. And we need to lean in back into just take one sense and start to, to Google that sense and what it can do and the, the capacity of that sense. And... Then take, you got five of them plus the brain and this amazing physiological thing that we call the body. It's incredible. And what are we doing to nurture it by just filling it with noise all the time?
0: I know you, you and I have talked about movies a lot on the podcast, and you remember the movie The Matrix, right? Where, you know, mm-hmm. someone's jacked into this thing in the base of their skull with this port and it creates this immersive world that they live in. And I think that we're in a time where the financial incentive for technology companies and media companies and everything else, in a sense, to sell us that immersive experience, to sell us the matrix, to want us for every waking moment of our day to be plugged into these immersive bubbles of content. My question is... What does that do to a person? I know that in your career, you've worked with a lot of pediatric patients, right? And so what is the failure to thrive when a when a child or a person doesn't interact with other people? Uh, well, we were talking about what happened when you put lockdowns on people and you isolated right. them. Mm-hmm. And, and so now when people are isolated in their homes, maybe, or isolating themselves in these bubbles, how does that? Affect the thriving of a human brain, of a human body, of a human a human spirit uh, psychologically, physiologically. Does it? Is there a sort of a failure to thrive that comes from that? I
1: think we we relationally uh, atrophy. You know, we we become very poor at relationships if we don't exercise that relational muscle in a sense, which which comes from presence being available. I mean, we all just didn't um, completely stop relationships during the pandemic. We found digital ways to maintain those relationships, but that's not how those relationships are, are formed or sustained over the long haul. It was kind of like an ambulance that we needed to get into to use Zoom and Teams and those kind of things. But if you stay in that world, the relationships will only go so far because you're not engaging the, the full senses of being with that person. And in business negotiations, in sustaining long-term relationships, you just become a number on a page versus the handshake, the interaction, the trip across the country to actually meet with that person. And I get it and I try to do as much as I can digitally, but I also factor in, I need these relational interactions to sustain long-term relationships, to keep those long-term relationships going. I need to see the person being present with them, my body and their body, uh, because there's something about that because I'm engaging these all five of these senses, not just sight and sound, but the other senses that are taking things in. And I think what happens is a lot of times we engage in this stuff because maybe it might be easier. It doesn't take as much work or energy. And two, we also might be avoiding things. And I would think that would be probably maybe number one is a lot of times we use these things to avoid things that we fear, you know, inadequacies in ourself, uh, negative things that we don't want somebody to, you know, scratch that itch too much. And we want to be able to protect it and control it. I can control the phone and move to the next app. You know, I can decide to respond to that text now or later. If I'm face to face with somebody. I got to deal with reality. My relationship will go stronger and um, that relationship will make me healthier. But digitally, we tend to try to control it more because we're probably avoiding some fear, uh, some inadequacy, and we're seeking for control in our environment. When you look back at dysfunction, so let's take a child
0: that's raised maybe without a lot of human interaction. You know, maybe it's a, a child who. From very early age is stuck in front of a computer and a TV set or whatever doesn't and locked in a house or an apartment doesn't really see people, doesn't get out in the world. Right. And I know there are children sadly that are raised this way. And how does that alter their brain and their even capacity as they get older to develop? Because aren't there critical stimuluses or stimuli that need to happen at developmental stages so when they've not interacted with other human beings fully when they've not interacted with the natural world fully when they've been just glassy-eyed glued to a screen all the time you know have you seen this kind of atrophy in a human being that causes sort of
1: stunts their development Absolutely. I mean, it dramatically impacts their attachment, uh, which becomes very, it's what we would call a cyclical maladaptive pattern is that, uh, early on in early development, you kind of develop this, this negative pattern of this is how I'm going to interact with the world where I'm not going to attach with it. Okay. Or approach avoidant where I'm going to sort of approach, but then I'm going to avoid. And then that plays itself out in the next relationship and the next relationship. And here we are, six relationships later, and we're still in this kind of maladaptive pattern of un- being unable to attach and develop intimacy and understand the relationships are more than just seeing and hearing. They're touching and feeling and sensing. You need those things. You need those hugs. Um, you need those you know, kind of pats of encouragement. You need those times that somebody sits there silently and just listens to you, right? But you can develop these maladaptive patterns that you just get stuck in those and they just play themselves out over and over in relationship and emotionally you feel empty. And a lot of times, you know, what our goal in therapy, when we're having therapy with people, is to create... The goal in therapy is to create an environment where we can change that cycle and develop what's called... the. technical word for it is a corrective emotional experience, where instead of this negative emotional cycle that the person's stuck in, the therapist steps in and they notice that they're being part of that cycle and they react differently to try to break the cycle so it can now repeat positively. There's words that we use for that in psychology and uh, referred to transference and counter-transference and how those relationships get put on you and your job is to kind of break that. But yeah, these cycles start early on related to a child's development of attachment with key figures. And then they're just going to keep playing themselves out because the brain is always going to try to solve problems that are unfinished. The unresolved past is the present. And so it's going to keep playing the same cycle out until it gets resolution. Um, What about sensory deprivation?
0: Uh, right, I mean, I know if you put somebody in a sensory deprivation tank, they'll lose their mind, in you know, a couple of hours right. kind of thing. But you know, when you put some buddy, or especially a young child, in a situation where the only senses that are being stimulated is what's coming through a screen, how, how does that sensory deprivation maybe sort of stunt their capacity to
1: interact with the, the you know, physical world? Yeah, where I see it most is their attention, their ability to attend in relationships their ability to be aware in relationships. If things aren't moving all the time, like on the screen, then they can't have... A, it's very hard for them to hold down a conversation and maintain attention in the workplace when they might have multifaceted tasks um, that aren't just laid out for them by going from one level to the next level in a computer game. Um, that they they miss that lag time that happens many time in relationships that you have to still sustain the attention, even though there's a, a pause. Um, and that's a skill that we're losing is that ability to kind of be present with people, even in those lags or the, the lack of stimulus. And that's what the, when people are reaching for their phone all the time, okay, there, I would say that there's a sense of uncomfortability with themselves because they're trying to push down the beach ball in the pool that's whatever this inadequacy is by constantly moving. You know, we've talked about, you've talked about before, whack-a-mole. You know, they just keep kind of hitting it and they're kind of using the distraction of the phone, the game, the texting, the Facebook. It isn't relationship. That's not real sensory relationship. I had this experience happen um, yesterday, actually. We have my son's wedding coming up and... I needed to get a haircut, right? So uh I walked up the to the little town right up the road here. Uh it's only like, you know, half a mile away to this, you know, uh old timey barbershop. And I was sitting there waiting for somebody and this guy kind of like rushes in and uh looks really kind of uh, frantic and somebody else is getting the haircut and I'm like, I wonder who this guy is. And he was actually gonna be the guy that was cutting my hair. And I'm like, wow, he seems a little stressed. And uh <laughs> So he says, I'm ready for the next person. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. So I I go sit in the chair and within five seconds, I hear this dog barking ring chimer, you know? So his his ringtone is a dog barking. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, what the heck is that? And he has proceeded to cut a few, uh, used a little bit of the razor and has now turned around with his back to me and I can hear Click 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 click. He's texting somebody, right? And then three <laughs> minutes later, three minutes later, I hear. Row, row, row. I'm like, oh my gosh! And he stops cutting my hair. Okay, I'm going to pay 26 bucks for this haircut, right? He sta- he hasn't even asked me my name or who I am. He starts cut stops cutting, and he's I hear. He's texting, right? 90 seconds later, I'm not joking. This happened probably 15 times. And I could get the sense from what he was talking about with one of his colleagues that this was something going on with one of his kids that was related to some anxiety or stress. And I had to kind of chuckle to myself, like this guy doesn't realize (laughs) that sitting in the chair here is somebody who's a pediatric neuropsychologist (laughs) for over 30 years who's seen 70,000 brains and very likely, and I'm not being presumptuous here, very likely I can help him solve this problem that he's having, but he's so distracted by this phone and what's going on when he's supposed to be providing a service, he's going to completely miss right in front of him, an opportunity. He doesn't have to pay for it, right? He's got a captive audience. He has me in his chair with razors in his hand. Like, I'm going to you know, listen to him, right? But I just had to chuckle like, wow, isn't that symbolic of our culture is like the answers and the intimacy and the love and the depth of relationship is right there. But it's going to take some work if we put down our walls and we'd stop like controlling everything around us and just open our eyes. It's like right there. More than you'll ever get from any of that stuff is in relationship. You know, you think about um, what was the uh, the Tom Hanks movie where he was on the island? Oh, the- Castaway. Castaway. Yeah, Castaway. Right. And he's figured it all out. He's figured out fire, uh, water, uh, food. He's got it all figured out, but what is he missing? Relationship, right? And what does he do? He gets the volleyball, Wilson. Wilson. And he makes a face on the volleyball, right? You know, and he's talking to Wilson and he's literally making a relationship with this volleyball, right? And there's a great scene, if you remember from Castaway, where he's finally built the raft. He's got Wilson on the raft. He's talking to Wilson. And they're, they're almost off of this Island, you know, that's just destroyed his life. Right. And he's just about gone. And the, the Wilson gets knocked off the, the raft. You remember yeah. that? Right. And he's screaming. I mean, it almost brought me to tears, right? right? He's screaming, Wilson, <laughs> Wilson, you know, I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm like, huh, I'm getting choked yeah. up. And I'm like, It's a volleyball, (laughs) (laughs) but he was willing to turn around and maybe go back because of relationship. But it was a pseudo relationship and he kept moving forward into the storm, even though it was comfortable. So he could get to real relationship. Wow. Right. And how many Wilsons do we create in our lives? Wow. What a great story. Wilson there. But where's the real relationship? And those, not that Wilson wasn't helpful for him, right? Psychologically, emotionally, it provided structure and some emotional stability for him, but he would have stayed on the Island if Wilson was meeting all of his needs. Yeah. Right. But Wilson couldn't touch him. Wilson couldn't share a meal with him. Couldn't talk back. Okay. Couldn't talk back. Couldn't sing a song, you know, couldn't say I love you. Right. So he gave that up and he went into the storm and sacrificed his life. So it wouldn't be Wilson, but it would be something else. Right. And so I would ask our, our listeners, is it Wilson or is it real people? Yeah. You know, and what are you using Wilsons for? What are you running from or avoiding? There's a necessary resource to using these things. And I'm not opposed to that, but do they now become toxic to us? To the point that we never leave the island. We're stuck on the island because we think, oh, this meets all my needs. My texting, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter. I got, look how many followers I got. That's not relationship. Wow, what a couple of great illustrations
0: back to back! But I'm just so curious how the haircut turned out and whether like it's lopsided or not because this guy was.
1: Well, the user can't see it, but I have a hat on right now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you wonder why is Doc? Wearing I was that hat. wondering why Doc was wearing a hat. Now I know. Yeah, it's because of the haircut. No, but, and to be honest, to be honest, we live in, we live in an apartment currently as we're building a house up in Charlotte area and we're up on the 14th floor. So to take the dog out, I got to go down to go to the grocery store. I got to go up and down the elevator. The other day, got on the elevator, hit the third floor. Somebody gets on the elevator. You know what the first thing I did? I reached for my pocket and started looking at my phone. Right. right. Like I'm not perfect in this, but then I asked myself, what the heck are you doing? Like, this is a human being that is the, one of the most amazing things in the universe. And you might have a few seconds with them. And why, what's so important on your phone? You know, some spam, I had some spam email that I started deleting and right. didn't even look up and say, Hey, how's your day going? But
0: it's like, but it's not, I yeah, well, you encounter that, for change. that person walks on to the elevator with you and it's, not safe. It involves uncertainty, right? So you retreat into the wall because pulling your, exactly. pulling the phone out of your pocket and looking at, you know, some junk email is actually throwing up a defensive wall. It, it puts you into exactly. your bubble. Now I'm in my bubble. This person's in their bubble and they can't, it's safe. But I want to come back to your idea of cycles because I think there's another cycle here, or at least I, th- I think there might be. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. And that is this feedback loop with dopamine, right? So look, there's a, I know for a fact, there is a ton of, of neuroscience that's employed by the tech companies. I mean, a lot of neuro, they hire a lot of neuroscientists and there's a lot of neuroscience research about how to get people to engage with these products Right. And so, for example, when you check whatever your social media feed is and you have likes, those drips and they've they've designed it. I mean, they've they've gone through iterations and uh, designs of screens and how they come up so that i be I want the dopamine hit of of logging into Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and seeing likes or messages. I love the Mm -hmm. idea that there's another new thing. And so it becomes this feedback loop because I got to check to see, I haven't checked my mail in the last five minutes, but maybe a new piece of mail came in and that's exciting. Or I haven't checked my social media feed for a few minutes. And when I do, ooh, look, I have nine likes. And that keeps me coming back for more, right? So so this dopamine cycle it's 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 literally a drug addiction, right? I mean dopamine is a drug that hits my brain. Absolutely. And so it changes our brain structure and it alters our neural pathways because we want more of that drip, that dopamine drip. And so some of these technological products provide those those dopamine hits. It can be how many likes did I get on Instagram or whatever. It can also be going back to the pornography website on my phone mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. checking my mail or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it begins to alter my neural pathways be- in the same way that taking shots of cocaine does, um, mm-hmm. right? So I've got, I've become addicted to that dopamine hit. Can you talk about that? Because I think, I, I mean, I don't think, I, I know for a fact that the tech companies have designed these products yeah. to become addictive.
1: Yeah. I mean, we know that ringtone on the phone for people who are using the phone all the time, create these dopamine surges every time that it chimes or the guy's the dog dog one, right? That if I could measure dopamine reaction at that moment in time, or even just look at brainwave activity, I would see a excitability that happens instantaneously uh, more so than many street drugs and um there was a study a while back where they looked at high um social media users and took their phones away and within 72 hours they started exhibiting signs of clinical depression um because they were so addicted to that dopamine there is a great book that i'd recommend uh listeners to read called a deadly wandering a deadly wandering and it's a Fantastic book about how our neurophysiology literally gets altered by these different things that we're engaging with to the point that it becomes toxic on our system. And not only releasing dopamine, but cortisol gets released, which is the activation of the HPA axis, uh, which is very releasing too much adrenaline. And we get a- addicted to that adrenaline. And then over time, That puts us in a constant sympathetic state, which can literally lead to chronic illnesses. Our listener out there, your sleep problem may be completely related to how much time you're spending on social media or how many of these walls and other things that you're doing. The wall can be your work too, right? Like You're so obsessed with work or it could be the stock market or whatever it is, but you're losing this ability that your brain and body has to be multifaceted and to be intimately engaged in relationships around you uh, where you're sensory loaded in these relationships, not sens- sensory deprived. And that's how I'd kind of look at, well, let me look at my relationships, what I'm doing, what is engaging all of my senses and what is controlling that?
0: You know, I know people that become addicted to the dopamine hit of the breaking news chime You know, so they watch whatever side of the political aisle they're on. They watch their favorite cable news station. And like about every 10 minutes, it's like, do-do-do, breaking news. You know, some politician said something, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? What happened? What happened? See, I I think where I'm going with this is that when you, (laughs) it's this funny thing, because when you explain these bubbles or these walls that we live in, it's almost like if I'm a listener, I go... Well, when you put it that way, it sounds stupid, right? Like, why would I want to do that? I go, yeah, but it's actually enticing to live in these walls. Like, you get fed by it. You get fed dopamine. You you get fed these things. So, yeah, I mean, in abstraction, it sounds dumb. Why would we live in these walls? But those walls, when you're in them, they're comfortable. They're embryonic, right? You're in there and you're getting your dopamine drip all the time. And meanwhile, the world is going by
1: without you. Right. And I also think another factor in it is boredom, is I think our, we, we don't understand many times the concept of vision or passion or a, a goal that I'm driving to. We become kind of numb To what's this bigger calling that I have and what is it that I'm going after. Um, I was recently doing... uh, We're building this house and I was doing um, uh, all the trim work in it, hanging all the doors, doing the trim work. And these were like 12-hour days. Three weeks went by. I don't think I looked at one Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, anything. And you know what? I actually was still alive. I, I know it was hard to believe and I still, uh, had relationships and I actually was a little bit more fit after the three weeks of, you know, working. And what was, why did those things fade away during those three weeks? I was like laser focused on something I'm trying to accomplish. And I knew it was going to take physical work. It was going to take my senses to do it. And it was actually extremely rewarding. Yes, I could have probably seen 3,000 Instagram posts during that time, but my life is better for shifting my focus. And maybe it's just a season that you have, like go after a goal and stay on that goal and stop drifting into kind of this boredom like, okay, now it's time to scroll because my Netflix series is over. So now I've got something else to do. Is there anything going on in the world that you could be involved in or in people's lives that you could actually transform and have a ripple effect on the world around you and get that passion going? I don't know what that is, but get it going and feed it, you know, go for well, it. Well,
0: You've hit on something really important here, which is that the, these walls or these technological bubbles are a luxury good. Uh, for a society yes. where we don't have to work that hard to survive. I mean, if you went back a mm-hmm. hundred years or a thousand years, and I had to go out every day and plow the field, or build the house, or you know, hunt for food, or whatever work, and you know, whatever I do, I was a cobbler and I'd make shoes, or whatever. I was, I was literally, I was physically engaged mm-hmm. with the physical mm-hmm. world around me because it took me applying myself in it for 12 hours just to survive. And now we don't have to. And the curve of technology where artificial intelligence is going to make so many people's jobs either easier or relevant. And now what do I do with all of this time? I fill it. I have to fill it somehow. So it seems to me there's a deliberate choice that we have, which is how do we fill the the luxury that the 21st century has given us, the luxury of time? And, and do we fill it with something constructive or or do we fill it with these dopamine drips? Mm -hmm. Well, this is good stuff, Doc. You know, it's, uh, we really, really need to stay on this in our own individual lives and stay on this too. And, and so give us a, uh, some advice. If somebody's listening to this and goes, man, I need to make some changes. What can they do? How can inner armor help them?
1: Yeah. So inner armor is going to, we're going to go upstream, And we're going to work with some of these habitual responses that you developed in your body and your brain that are primarily relying on dopamine and adrenaline and those things to keep you going and bring the body and brain in a much more balanced state through the technology and our assessments so that you can see what you're doing and that these things don't become crutches for you, but maybe they're tools that you use for bigger goals and Inner Armor can bring the brain into balance, improve your focus, improve the power, resilience that you have, and also the precision of everything that you're doing. So, you know, uh, we have great in-home program uh, where you can rent these tools and use them. And you have coaches available to you. If you go to forgeinnerarmor.com and then also get the book, read the book. Um, we've mentioned other book like Deadly Wandering, you know, educate. Education is the bridge. To change. Absolutely. So go to Forge
0: Your Inner Armor, ForgeInnerArmor.com. You can check there to how to get an assessment and how Inner Armor can help you. Go to Amazon.com. Check in there on Forge Your Inner Armor, available in print, ebook, and audiobook. Doc, thank you. And I know you've got a big week ahead with your uh, son's wedding and, so, and all the family coming to town. So blessings on you as you fully engaged and are fully present in all of these wonderful things. And we'll see you back on the podcast soon. Great. See you later, Greg. Take care. This has been the inner armor podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about inner armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to ForgeInnerArmor.com.